Today's scripture reading is uh, from two different places, Proverbs 31 and Matthew 22. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Let's say drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And in Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a true, that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, one thing we've been trying to be a little bit more careful about doing is recognizing your contribution to what goes on here at Christ Central, even though uh, it, it, you, know, you may think it's small or not much of a big deal. Our regular musician... Um, Hanak Hickman is away dealing with some family issues uh, this morning, so he was kind of uh, he was unable to join us. And we had Galen, um, musician you saw up here, uh, step in and did a great job for us. But um, our musician Hanak likes to play the organ. He likes to play the feet, the pedals, but we didn't have a seat for him to sit down on. So our very own Brad Spink made a bench for him. And I sit over here every week and look at this bench. Look at this thing, y'all. I'm sorry, I'm just taking a little pastoral privilege here. I'm just impressed by it, right? It's heavy. Oh, my gosh. Um, you see this thing? Yeah. I just, I'm impressed by it. If you aren't it, and for all you green people, it's recycled plastics. Right? And then for you artists, there's a little design on the side and everything. And for you engineers, ain't nobody falling off this one. <laughs> Thank you, man. It's the small things that matter, y'all. It, it, believe it or not, um, for the glory of God. And I sit over here every week and I say, I'm going to say something about that bench. You do chairs and beds? And... I need a big pastor's pulpit chair. I can at least sit in it for one week and then God will kill me before I get to sit in it again.
And you do tattoos, right? Okay, let me quit, let me quit. I mean, he does, he does, he can, he can do whatever. Okay. Today we will end our sermon series on God Blank America. Take a couple of weeks off and then we'll start into a new sermon series. Um, I'm not sure the name of it yet. Something about the truth behind our fantasies. Um, but I, it, it, it still ain't developed yet, so I shouldn't have said anything. But um, I want to start off with an apology and clarification of sorts from last week's sermon. We have three elders along with a number of you whom we would describe as bankers or financial sector people. And I believe for the sake of strong justice argument, I forgot to mention and highlight a lot of their stories um, as bankers and financial people of redemption and hard work that probably represent more of what bankers of this church are about more than not. The bankers and financial people in our church have suffered their own oppression as believers in God's justice and mercy in the banking world. As a matter of fact, that Ecclesiastes passage in chapter 5 says, hey, don't be surprised if you see corruption in the world or issue in the world because every working person has somebody above them pressuring them. Not only that, but they've worked overtime on their jobs and even more so in their hearts to do things that have benefited this church, our community, and have done more um, good for it than bad. I want to say, talk to any of these guys about money and financial industry and capitalism, and I trust. Um, I said, I trust that you would get godly, wise, and broken before Jesus' advice and information. I like talking to them and joking with them because I don't know what I'm talking about, but boy, it's fun. I like to learn by causing you to be mad at me. You know, that's when I know I'm getting the truth. If I can irritate you, then you tell me the truth. That's so manipulative and bad. So with that said, let's look at what Scripture has to say about a less controversial subject, politics. Well, it's less controversial for the Lord, anyway. It is you and I who get caught up in the necessary but broken world of politics, especially in the democracy we live in, where government is representative, where we send and vote people we believe best represent the desires of the majority to fix and promote what we, the people, well, most of us, we, the people, want. It is up to the politicians to prove and convince us that they are best for what we, the people, want done and how we want our government and society shaped and legislated and led. That process in our democracy from its beginning to end, from its candidating to election, to being in office and the effects of holding that office, and our reviews on the effectiveness of that official and the effects of it on our country is called politics. And needless to say, it is not a clean or easy or clear thing in a country of varying ideals and goals of power and class and money and crime. We can easily be a country that God blesses with a democracy, but at the same time curses for how we exercise our politics. This being an election year, you and I 
are and will be amped on politics. We'll be stuffed and gagged by the sheer amount of political activity going on, and even more so here, with Charlotte being the home of the 2012 Democratic National Convention. The Lord provides, though, you and me and our world direction and relief and redemption for our politics. God demands that the needs of a nation's people, number one, be addressed through politics. Secondly, God puts limits on what politics can do. And finally, God is the Lord of politics. Look with me at the passage in Proverbs written to a king by his queen mother, and she says this to him about leading, and we're reading it again, basically. It is not for kings, O Limiel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and the wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. She's telling her son that leading politically means being sober and sobered to assess, to see the needs and good of the people he or she is leading and then address those needs. This in part is what the Pharisees, for wrong reasons before the public, is asking Jesus to do in our Matthew passage, to assess and then address what he thinks is best for people to do as far as taxes are concerned when it comes to their religion and their government. And in a democracy where it is by and for the people, This advice given to the king in Proverbs and the kind of challenge made to Jesus is each one of ours to take on. It is yours to take on. In this country, we are charged as individuals and people groups to properly assess and make sure the needs and issues of people, especially the poor and downtrodden, according to Scripture, are being addressed, that justice and mercy are active and attainable. And that call by God to you and me may mean some of us, with the gifts and abilities to do so, should be political leaders federally or statewide or locally or in our neighborhoods and cities in some capacity or another to make sure the needs you see and God has allowed you to see and feel will be addressed by the government. Others of us are called to shape politics by being lobbyists. Such a bad word these days. And working with integrity for our big corporations and companies and banks and media and political and religious action groups who, ho- who actually hold the purse and puppet strings to our politicians and the populace. Many of you are grassroots political leaders, but leaders nevertheless that people look to, to, to speak for and address the needs of the community. God bless America for you. But not only that, We're called in this country's politics by God, in this country's political system, by God to let our voices be heard. This means in this country, 
We vote for those who address and have properly assessed the needs and issues that possibly God has given you as a regular people to see and experience and vote out, if you will, those who are not sober to the needs of the country, especially the needs of the poor and overlooked and mistreated. It's power to the people in this democracy of America. Power to the front porch coffee shop, blogosphere, Facebook, Google+, prophets, and politicians. God has given you and me a call, be careful here, to be sober and wise and influential for good. But with that, we must be careful then, especially in this country's democracy, that we are not mishandling our God-given peace and part in the political puzzle because God will judge you and me and hold us accountable from top to bottom on the heart and tongue of our politics. What you put on Facebook or Google Plus or tweet, it matters. See, it's great being a democracy, isn't it? It's great that it's for the people and by the people. Except for one point. What that queen mother tells her son king is your responsibility if it's truly for and by the people. If you truly run this government as a democracy, then you and I are held accountable for what goes on politically. Now, if we had a dictator, we could hold... him or, or her responsible if, we, if it was, you know, one of those systems, if it was a communist, we could just hold the government responsible. But this is a democracy. So God calls us to live in truth and justice in the form of politics he's given us. Yes, our politicians should be challenged and questioned. But respectfully, as the Bible says throughout that you and I are not their equal and should act submissively in honoring with how we do it. We call our president all kinds of names, whether it was Bush in office or now Obama in office and whoever will be in office next. When we disagree with people, we call them by their first name or last name in disrespectful ways. Here's the rule of thumb. We should treat the elected official we disagree with, like we'd want the elected official to be voted for and agree with to be treated. But it still means to ask and address, nevertheless. But not only has God called for politics to work to assess and address the needs of people, God has put limits on politics. He's made and allowed it to be in its function fractional and faulty fractional and faulty. The Bible says that Jesus was asked a question of the Pharisees in the public eye. They were using politics for their CD plan to jam Jesus. And the question was this, if we look at Matthew 22. Teacher, (laughs) oh, they slick, aren't they? They are slick. We know that you are true. We do this all the time. We have presbytery meetings. We love it. In obedience and love of God, fathers and brothers, men of the word of God, good and conscious leaders, your ideas mean nothing. You know, 
but they do it, right? Teacher, we, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. What a lie. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Now look at verse 15. They did this to entangle him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now what is complicated is that Julius Caesar has taken over the republic and made himself an emperor, which meant he had final decisive power over the councils and senate and people. It would be like, you know, we're kind of a democratic republic, I think, in some degree. And, you know, with the big companies, let's not get into that right now. So anyway, uh, Julius Caesar, imagine somebody coming. America is so divisive and acting up. One great military leader comes in and says, President Obama, you still work here, but I'm in charge. This is what Caesar did. He came in. And so you, here's what's going on. What they're doing is, it, 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 what is complicated is that Julius Caesar's taken over the republic and made himself an emperor, which meant he had final decisive power over the councils, the senate, and the people. In fact, he declared himself a messiah, a king, a, a small g god. He was divine, if, if you will. And so they knew that if he demeaned Caesar, if Jesus demeaned Caesar, he would be put to death. But if he raised Caesar, he would anger the monotheistic religious Jews. But Jesus declared what was true about politics in his answer. He says this. Verse 20. They brought him a denarius, a coin for tax. And Jesus said to them, verse 20, whose likeness is in inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things of Caesar." to God the things that are God. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. What does this teach us about politics? Politics are fractional, which means that there are some things that it can do and can't do. There were some things Caesar and his power could do, and if you read the history of Caesar, I read a little bit this week, not enough to be an expert like some of y'all. I took Roman history in college, but not enough to be the expert on the psychology behind Caesar's rule. But apparently, there were some, some things Caesar in his power could do and buy, but there were some things only God could do. And that there were some people for Caesar and felt helped by him, and there were some of those who didn't. Why? Because politics is limited. It can never in one or even two people be the whole help for all people. It will help one and hurt the other and not help as much the other. It will be moral to one and not so moral to another. It will do good for some and not for others. And literally, it cannot address and assess everyone all the time and all in time. But Jesus is showing us that not only is politics fractional, it is faulty. I mean, just by raising Caesar next to God in comparison, he is saying Caesar has some faults, that with this coin, he is saying Caesar has influence with money and power. Here, is he, he, here in pointing out to, to, to the Pharisees this, this coin, he's saying, you bring me the coin. Why? Because I'm showing that even you have been bought out by him. The coin came from you. He's also, he also knew what everyone recognized, especially the religious crowd here, that the Roman government was filled with corruption and oppressiveness and blasphemy before their God, like Caesar declaring himself a God of sorts, putting his graven image on money, and that you had to sell your soul and pay your way, or in Caesar's case, through military fear and force, to bully your way to power. 
but not only Caesar, but also the religious action group called the Pharisees, who were using their religious authority to be political heavies in a bad way. This is all the corruption of politics converging all at once in Jesus' answer. And the Pharisees knew it too, that politics were sticky and yucky enough to trap a good man, if he's only a good man, like Jesus. And Jesus turns it all to make this point. Your, Caesar's, politics, religious, Politics are faulty. They can bring out your limitations and faults because human beings are faulty and the world is broken and faulty. And what does the fact that, what does the fact that politics being fractional and faulty mean to us? There is no one and sure political answer to the problems of this country. There is no political silver bullet for the economy and the morality of America. There is no political system that represents you perfectly, a party that represents you perfectly, and yet is sustainable and electable all at the same time. I've got a great politician in my mind, but that person would never be electable. There is no purely right or correct or liberating or, or help for all political party philosophy of government or political candidate or elected official. There is no such thing or person. Why? Our candidate may lie or stretch the truth and tell us things or make grand promises that they can't possibly accomplish in four years. They will oversell you and undersell uh, another important group or issue to see which way is better to get into office. Also understand that your one issue candidate that's voting for a candidate that supports your one or two important issues and not the many others means we as a country will end up having a real unbalanced, fractional, and faulty government if your one or two issue person ends up in office. We teasing, fighting each other for good stuff, but also fighting and fussing over what is faulty and fractional and fussing over what is, you know, it is, and, and not comprehensive to what God calls for ever. And yet we're willing to lose everything for it. Friends and church and neighborhoods. We're just ready to Put it all out there and cut folk down and, and act crazy with no kind of dignity for a faulty and fractional politician or political party. That's crazy. Render unto Caesars his faulty, fickle, and fractional system. Render, that means exercise mercy and justice within it, but render unto God, which is perfection, the things that are God. So quit being so fervently sure in your party or candidate or issue. Okay. To believe in your reasons for why you vote or back a certain political tilt, tilt should believe in it. I'm not trying to say don't believe, but also believe you could be wrong. Not me. 
the Bible says this is wrong. That is clear. But the Bible is clear about a thousand other issues. You might be, have absolute truth, but you don't absolutely have all the truth. You know, and hey, look, I'm, I'm sort of, when it comes to the Bible, I'm conservative. When it comes to Scripture. Politically, I'd rather stay as anonymous as possible, y'all. If you want to check me, I'm an independent. What's that mean? I'm nothing, right? Trying not to be a lightning rod except for the Word of God in here. Y'all can get mad about that. But you, and so I, I say that because there's this sense in which even Christians think in their political religious action groups think that they have absolute truth. How can that be true when the kingdom hasn't absolutely come on earth yet? It is yet to be all made true and all revealed to you. Now, I agree that what has been revealed we should take very seriously. But something else has been revealed we should take seriously. We can't be right with one candidate or party on all issues. I said this to make a clear point. There are many more issues. If we look at what needy means in Proverbs passages, there are myriad exponential needs among our people and for the good of our society, but there's never one answer, one party that God who is perfect would ever submit his name and kingdom to. God votes for nobody. Jesus voted for nobody. He was crazy. He never took a party line. Why? One day he looks like he's on this side, and the next day he looks like on this side. He would never win office because he, the year would be like, Jesus, you flip and you flop back and forth. I wouldn't vote for him. He's my Lord, but I wouldn't vote for him. He'd be a very poor politician to get what I want done because he'd be too busy trying to get what he wanted done. See, this is how God in the church gets jammed gets jammed. And I'm going to stand up for the church here. I don't want to be jammed any longer. Like the Pharisees, they try to force Jesus into a camp, religious right or government left. But neither with the Pharisees represented religious right and Caesar the left were all good or bad. Yes, there are things we're standing up for, but God stands for himself. And maybe your political issue is in one sphere, one corner of God's all-encompassing righteousness for this earth. Do your one corner good but realize, humble yourself, it's one corner. So when people try to determine and declare whether you are or can't be a Christian if you vote for this person who supports or doesn't fight against this or that, then they just stop acting like a Christian. Because with such statements, they have rendered the things of God to Caesar, to a political system or party, and that can't happen. Don't put Jesus in a jam because now certain people groups associate him more with a political party than they do the kingdom of God now I can't call our church now I, you know I get around and like what kind of church well are you evangelical oh I'm so afraid George aren't you afraid to tell people sometimes we evangelical why because I can't help but be tied to the Christian right evangelical wing especially here in Charlotte and that is wrong when evangelical means hey in my mind, that we believe Scripture is the Word of God. Jesus, Lord, rose from the grave, right? Suffered, died three days, rose up, virgin birth. I believe those things. But I might not believe in that candidate. 
Let me say something kind of hard. Abortion is not the only issue. Prayer in schools and same-sex marriages are not the only issues for the church and its people. Get this, the church is concerned about illegal immigrants. The Bible says, love the sojourner among you. What's that mean? We need to take time to think about that as much as we thought about the other issues. What's it mean? The rights of women. Fair civil treatment as far as legal contracts or union are concerned. Yes, this speaks to the marriage gay thing. Have really thought, what does it mean to have a civil union, like a contract honored in this country? I didn't say marriage. I said contract. What do we really believe? I'm not saying I disagree or agree with any part of this. I'm just saying, have we given it thought? Or are we sold out to a political line? The church is called to love gay and lesbian people. The church loves the poor and is concerned about the welfare of the poor. And, and, let me say and, because this is how Jesus won't be elected. And is concerned about the unborn is concerned about the God-ordained definition of marriage and concerned about the progression of our sexualities toward godliness. Our God is not electable. <laughs> he can only be God. He can't be a politician. So understand that, that God is the truly only independent third party in this day. Because he is the Lord of politics. He uses it the right and the left to support his cause and cause and rules over. The Bible says that after his answer, what? The Pharisees, they marveled. They were twisted and turned, y'all. They didn't know what to think. See, they were thinking one or two ways, but the Lord had a third way, right? Jesus always has a third way. I don't, this is what makes it hard to work with Jesus sometimes. I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is the head of this church, and sometimes he has a third way of doing it, and I don't like it. You know how he exercises this third way? He don't ask. He just does it. You know, hey, we got this idea. We're going to do it at our church. Boom, something else happens. Great. The Bible says they marveled. Do you know what Jesus, God, coming to flesh, did? He became the Lord of politics. He actually used the silver tongue and shrewdness of the best politician to get out of the snag of politics. You know, CNN or Fox could not snag Jesus, y'all. No one can convince or massage and move the room and tell people what they do and don't want to hear for all the right reasons, with the right words at the right time, like the Lord Jesus. A political debate with Jesus in it would turn into story time because he would have all the other candidates end up sitting crisscross applesauce on the rug before him like little children. They would marvel. <laughs> Tell us about the health care issue, Jesus. You just got to heal everybody one day? I mean, Jesus uses politics to bring his kingdom platform on earth, his desire and design and direction for all things on earth, and keep his desires free of it at the same time. Look with me at verse 18 in chapter 22. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why? Put me to the test, you hypocrites. Show me the coin. 
for your tax. And they brought it, and he says, whose likeness? And he says, render to Caesar's thing of Caesar's God, things of God. I want to just make something clear. Jesus is completely aware and on top of everything. You don't know the motive of what's going on. You know, we had to go see that movie Safe House with Denzel Washington last night. The born identity, all of them. There's always some conspiracy, right? Even our good government, right? To keep you safe at night, they got to do something wrong on somebody else's country. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to know. You've said that to yourself. I don't want to know what they did wrong. I just want to wake up feeling good and safe. You do. Jesus sees and knows everybody's motive. He will not be unpolitic politicked or used by the politicians of political parties. He would not be held captive by any political group. He's driving everything and everyone for his own purposes, which means Jesus will let our politics win and lose and swing back and forth to be for or against us, whether we are on the left or the right, to do what he wants it to accomplish. Look at what it says here. He says, bring me a coin as a dog. I don't have one. But I sure your Pharisees do, who've been paid off by Caesar, have one. See how he does it? So good. And he has to ask for a coin for Caesar's face on it because he did not have one in his own pocket because he can't be bought or bribed. But also because he's declaring that he didn't need Caesar to be who he was like the Pharisees did and then put it in his hand. And that is enough just by putting it in his hand, isn't it? to teach them and us what we need to declare and know. Our God, the God of the Bible, our Lord, the Lord Jesus rules and reigns over politics and politicians as the one who has them in his hand, under his control, to be played in the establishment, not of their party ideals, but of his kingdom ideals. And holding up the coin in the way he did, Jesus unites church and state, declaring that God will, will use the state for his purposes on earth, but separates church and state by pointing to the fact that God does not belong to the state or work for the state. God, this is God's country. Why? Same reason Iran's God's country. Because he holds it in his hand. Not because we hold him captive to our ideals. If we did, he wouldn't be God, and we wouldn't like that. I don't want y'all controlling God. He's too heavy for y'all to control. You want to try to hold God on a leash? Go ahead. I don't want to be the one holding it. So we pray when we vote with humility. We don't pull that lever with assurance because we're right. We're sure God's given us belief and passion. And we pull that lever with that too. But with your belief and passion, you're humbled, saying, oh, by the will, Lord, your kingdom and will will come regardless of what happens when I pull this. But Lord, I do it out of obedience to my call in this democracy. Cha-ching. And I, it's important to be informed of what's going on. I'm not trying to say be ignorant. Oh, it's all God. Just push buttons. I'm not saying that. Because then you'd be breaking the rule of assessing and addressing the needs of the country that you, the people, run. 
Oh, it's all kind of in between, isn't it? And regardless of the results, we can live in peace and relax and rest in him and even exercise our political muscles with humility and ultimately loyalty to him because our God never lost us, his people, because of who is elected. Here's a takeaway from this. No one can stop what we like to call the virus of the church. With Christ as its power and ethic and, and leader, from nothing can stop that from changing things, despite the politics. What we do here at this church, when we talk about the God Blank America sermon series, is getting you ready, as the Bible calls us to, for the collapse and disappointment of your own forming, and that will be, that is yours, or also the, the collapse and disappointment of the political system and how it will let you down and you, and how you may possibly lose in it. You will be disappointed. Your guy will not win. Your woman will not win. Your party will let you down. Now what? Pack up our toys and go home? That's not what my scripture says. Love of neighbor and love of God continues despite who is in office. Politics is fractional and it's faulty. So what isn't being done? Church of God, people of God, get out there and do it. This is what the Lord is calling us to. Render unto these things of Caesar's and the things of God unto God. And God says mercy and justice are not an option based on the political landscape. It don't work that way. Lord, well, well you know who's in power now? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Time to get to work. Time to trust the power of God over and against a crazy and confusing political world. Our orders and call from Christ are not a political option. To love neighbor and love him and be loved by him. It's a commandment. And if we must be right politically with mouth-foaming anger, evil bumper sticker, having fervor for our faith to be true and our God be God, then maybe Caesar is your God. And your God only God when your politics wins out. Maybe America and its systems are your God. And if those things are true, you are doomed. You will lose. You will suffer defeat and live in anxiety and fear because you and your system of politics, let me be a prophet here, will let you down. God will let it let you down, I hope. You can't be right or left enough for that not to be true. You and I must turn to the one candidate who did not vote for himself. But allow himself to lose on the cross who let the systems of government to vote politically, to crucify him. He allowed a malign horde of people in the filthy and faulty and evil politics light his way to the cross. And there he died to be not our candidate, 
of redemption. But when he died for our sins and rose again, the one and only choice as king of redemption. See, what the gospel says is this. God voted to address the brokenness of you and me, faulty and unable to keep our word, unable to fully assess and address our needs and the needs of others. He voted for us, and when he did so, he voted against Christ so that he would die for our sins and now rule our lives with mercy and justice and love and peace. Yes, even in America and American politics, Jesus rules and he reigns and he redeems because he is the Lord and Savior of politics. We have to turn to him. God blesses America with his goodness and his grace. Because 2,000 years ago, he cursed Jesus. Jesus bore the curse, not of your individual sin only, but of a nation's sin. against him, against God. He died for that. But you know why he had to die for a nation's sin? So that he could be the Lord of a kingdom that will come and redeem people out of every nation, ever in any time, any political bent, any political mistake, any civil rights issue. His kingdom reigns and redeems us. Thank the Lord for Jesus, for our country and our country's sake.